Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Glad to be with you. Thanks for joining me. We're, uh, well, getting close to the bitter end, but uh, still talking. In fact, we always talk hunting, don't we? And hunting dogs. Going to cover a lot of ground in that regard with Dave and Vandy. Fiedler. They're the proprietors of Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. They've been on the podcast before. They're my instructors. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't show on TV, but you know what I mean. They're they're improving me a lot, but we're going to talk about their hunting, get some shooting instruction help, and uh, learn a little bit more about their field bred cocker spaniel, among other things. So uh, stick around for all that. If If you need help with your shooting, or you need help with your hunting, or you're just looking for a great hunting story, we got some coming up. But that's not all. Our Handle It training segment will talk about the correct proportion of praise to correction. And on Facebook, if you were making a New Year's resolution for your dog, what would it be? We'll share some of your thoughts on that and have a little fun as well. So stick around for the Upland Nation podcast made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Glaze and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, and FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Well, we're still getting out as much as we can, and I want to thank my good friend Tom for showing me a spot that i kind of driven past a few times, uh, looked at in the off-season, never really explored. And I'll tell you, it was such a relief. You've heard me gripe and complain about walking on snow all the time. It's bad enough when it's level ground. When it's not, you know what it's like. Well, Tom showed me some, well, not level ground, but there was no snow on it. And in fact, there was some fascinating cover. It was the first place I'd been to this season that had mainly bunch grass on the slopes and the hills, the benches and the bowls, and a good, solid, probably the best cheatgrass crop I've seen all season. So there is something to be said for, I guess, soil chemistry and um, and that sort of thing when it comes to uh, chucker food and that's what we were after we saw lots of sign we didn't see near as many birds as we could have but they are really hinky this time of year just like everybody else's birds they're getting up at a distance uh got one lucky shot and then we had one great um kind of kind of learning experience you know flick he'll he's a 400 yard dog he'll range 400 uh most of the time that's okay with me when i can see him especially and that's the joy of this bunch grass uh, but we get a beep from uh, Tom's uh, GPS collar telling us that Ruby's on point. And so we hightail it over there, and it's on a pretty vicious slope. I'll probably bet a 30 or 40% slope. And, you know, the, the places that don't have the bunch grass and the cheat grass have shale. So you're trying to put a sneak on these birds. And Flick, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm afraid he's going to get out there and steal the point. If, if you know, that might have been the best thing that happened to him there. So I rein him in, bring him in, and I make him heal alongside me as best we can both do on that slope. And trying to be stealthy about it with that shale. Uh, you know, we got within, well, Tom got within about two steps of a decent shot before those birds got up. And, man, were they gone like a flash. 
didn't even pull the trigger. But it was good practice for everybody. Ruby did a great job. Took us a, you know, a minute or two to get around to that spot, and she was solid the whole time. So good girl, and uh, beautiful day, blue sky. You know, this time of year, every one of those things counts as, as much as anything else. So how about you? You know, what's your, uh, what's your resolution for your dog for this new year? All right, Morgan Walker says, more hunting next fall, guaranteed. Okay, Morgan will hold you to it. David Johnson says, more birds. David Klopp, yeah, I'm all over this. I will go deeper in the brush. That sounds like a good resolution for both of you. Uh, East Coast Uplander, he he says, hey, man, come on, good boy. Be more steady on point. David Green just wants his dog to stay off the dang counter. And, uh, oh, so does Thought Body David. Stop climbing on the kitchen table when Dad is at work. And finally, the one we can all relate to, Chuck Lehman says, harvest more pheasants, hunt every day. You got a problem with that? You're at the wrong podcast, my friends. But the rest of us are here for the hunting. So um, uh, stick around for that uh, after this quick word from Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. Yeah, we'll be talking to Dave and Vandy in just a moment or two. But in the meanwhile, don't forget, if you didn't get the, the Christmas present you wanted, whether it's a shotgun or an accessory or a lesson or just a chance to shoot all these fascinating clay target games they have over there in uh, central western Oregon. We'll go to midvalleyclays.com and learn more about the the entire line of shotguns they have available from Beretta to Krieghoff to Siren and lots of accessories. Start at midvalleyclays.com, click on shotguns, and scroll down and click on online store. There you have it. And another way to improve your shooting, if you can't get a lesson with Dave or Vandy, is to go to truelockchokes.com. In addition to a lifetime warranty and a satisfaction guarantee, all sorts of deals there. Spend about 100 bucks, you'll get a free case for your new choke tubes. Spend about 120 bucks, you'll get free shipping on your domestic orders. It's all at truelockchokes.com, T-R-U-L-O-C-K, truelockchokes.com. Welcoming back to the show, Dave and Vandy Fiedler of Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. Yeah, I'd rather be doing this in person like we did the last one, but the equipment is a little better now than it was back then. So this is fun, too. Thanks to both of you for for joining us again on the Upland Nation podcast. Oh, thanks for having us, Scott. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and and, uh, uh, it sounds like you got the field-bred cocker in the background. What's the name of that dog again? Uh, well, we call him Potter, but his full name is Colonel Sherman the Tank Potter. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's, like it, and if you're too young to know who that is, then go back and look up MASH. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a TV show, by the way, you know, back when you watched stuff on the medium-sized screen. Uh, oh, uh, well, good. So how's the dog doing? 
He is doing great. He's been out on a few hunts this season, and he is doing better each season. We are just enjoying watching him work a field. Isn't that the truth? And, and I'll tell you, and, and his color, too, is the one I, if I ever get a Cocker Spaniel, I'm getting that color. What do you guys call it again in your world? I think he's registered as a gold, golden. Gold. Um, yeah. But uh, he's, he's, he's fantastic. His coloring is absolutely beautiful. He just blends into a lighter blondish tan color and um he's just he's awesome you know his better yeah exactly his his body color is the color of part of my wire hair's beard he's got a blondish beard and and i I just wish the rest of him was that color too (laughs) but (laughs) so you he's been out he's doing well tell me how you define well with a little cocker spaniel like that um that you know for me i'm i'm not a professional trainer yeah um and i'm not a professional hunter <laughs> but um watching a dog work a field is part of the joy of going up when hunting and the enthusiasm that he has when he is out there is just breathtaking um just bouncing around like a deer at times and um moving back and forth working the wind um working the scent he he's just enthralling is the best way i can describe it I, if we could bottle that energy, we could make a million or 10. Oh, don't you just definitely. love that? It, and, you know, I don't, all of our dogs have a little bit of that, but the Cocker Spaniels seem to have an abundance of it. They do. They do. They are. I'm, I'm so fortunate to have discovered the breed. I've um, kind of been a, a larger retriever type uh, hunting person with uh, Labrador retrievers. But when I discovered this breed, um, I was a little bit hesitant at first, but I, I do not regret my decision at all. Yeah, and you can put two of them in one box if you need to. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> well, well, Dave, you were out. You said you went out to um, northeast Oregon a while back and had a hunt out there. How, how were the conditions, and, and what were you chasing over there? Well, it was raining the first day we went out. We've been out there a couple times. It was raining the first day. And uh, the funny thing is I was meeting with a friend of mine, um, and he was going to show us some private land. Unfortunately, it was raining, so we didn't hunt because it was just horrible. But as we're driving from the place he showed us that we could hunt to basically back to our hotel, then we look on the left, and like, here is six or seven big roosters standing out in the field just looking at us in the rain. <laughs> and it, it's an area that you can't hunt. You know, it's private land you can't hunt. So I'm like, I'm just like, are you kidding me? So we drive down another quarter mile, not even, and here's a whole herd of Huns standing there looking at me, going, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Same property, same thing, can't hunt them. They're like, yeah, oh, we know you can't get us. You know, I think they do. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. But uh, so we got to go the next day, and uh, we did a pretty good job. Uh, my little, uh, um, obviously, my young pointer who had an accident, she is not able to hunt yet. Um, but she's going back in for her next operation on, she had broke her leg, and she Ew. put in, um, a bunch of metal and stuff and all of that comes out at the end of January but so she couldn't go but my other one that I have who's just turned five she's uh, was very tentative when I first got her and she, I, if you remember she's like the smallest English pointer you've ever seen in your life yeah that, uh, I love that size by the way <laughs> Well, which is really good and, and really bad in ways, too. But she has turned into a real machine. I mean, she used to be real tentative, and now it's like, hey, blackberry bushes, no big deal. I'm going right through the middle of them. Oh, I, I love it. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, so she's done spectacular, and she's she's not a huge retriever, but she gets it and comes back to a few feet from me and goes, oh, here it is, uh, I'm going back to hunt, so. Yeah, it's kind of a drive-by retrieve. Yeah, kind of, but you know what, she finds it and brings it back, and, you know, uh, considering how much time I spent with really working her on retrieving, I'm pretty happy with that. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, um... But yeah. So we've seen, uh, you know, the bird population, as you probably have noticed, uh, is actually up pretty good this year. Even the areas that we hunt, which is a lot of public land, there are a lot of birds out there. Um, and I unfortunately am now going to hang my head and say I actually missed a rooster this year. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sad to say that, but I did miss one. But I did string about four or five quail in a row after that, so I made up for it. But, uh, you know, lots of birds, you just got to find the right spot. Yeah, you do, and then you got to shoot better than me. Uh, but that's a story for another, uh, for later in this podcast. Now that I think about it, but uh, you, you know, um, it is the pressure is always on you too because you know you you run a shooting facility and a great one, and a, I'm still f- remembering my very first visit there a long time ago. But uh, so so people look at you and they think you never miss so so vandy when when you do miss whether it's a clay target or a, a game bird uh, uh do people really give you do they razz you a little bit or or have they are have they grown emotionally <laughs> well last season was a tough season for me when it came to bird hunting and dave didn't let me forget it so <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I understand that. <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to missing a clay target or a bird, if if you react to that miss by beating yourself up, it's not going to help the next shot that comes. So you, you got to get over that really fast. And hopefully your uh, hunting buddies or your shooting buddies will uh, understand that. You know, I'm glad you said it that way because it's absolutely true. You know, if you played competitive sports of any sort, you kind of get that. It still makes you mad, but you got to, like you said, get over it. And uh, and to a great degree, um, the only difference between hunting in particular, but uh, between shooting a shotgun and playing baseball is we got no umpires. And and so we got to set the rules and enforce the rules ourselves. Absolutely. I love it. So um, did you shoot as well as Dave, or were you even on that trip? The Pendleton trip, no. Um, I was not able to make that one. Um, Last time I went hunting, we went over to the Grass Valley area with a friend of ours. And unfortunately, I was never in the right place when the birds flushed. I've had days, I, in fact, some days I'm glad for that because I was shooting so bad. But that, that country is so wonderful over there. I love it up there. So I have to tell you the little issue that we had. It's it's one of those things where um, she was walking along, and I put her in the, the grass, which was matted down a little bit with the snow. Mm-hmm. So I am in her walk, and then I'm going way to the right. Imagine it was going down here and, and in the uh, wheat field. And our other friend who took us over there, he sees way on the left, and he's a mountain goat. So he's going up and down stuff. So the, the young pointer I have, or my pointer I have, is running the wrong way in the wind. And you've never seen this, right? She's running the wrong way in the wind. And I'm like, uh-oh, boom, up go about six or seven chucker. And they go flying to my left, which is towards Vandy, but they're way in front of her, so she doesn't see that. So we're working back towards the left where Vandy is, and just when we get over the crest 
by the hill. There's a little um, you know, depression there, and there's about 35 or so chucker get up. And I look to my left, and here Vandy's about 25 yards behind me. And if I would have just waited, this is my fault, and I'm still kicking myself for that. I would just waited to actually see her before we ran ahead. She would have walked right into the huge covey of them. Her little dog would have went crazy. But no, my legs are longer than hers, so I got there sooner and messed her all up. So I just still kicking myself for that. Oh, well, and I'm sure she'll never let you forget it either, right, Vandy? Absolutely not. Welcome every time. <laughs> Well, before before you two joined us, I was talking uh, about my most recent chucker hunt and uh, how I finally come to the conclusion after five dogs and 32 years of doing it that there are times when the best thing to do is bring that dog in and have him walk at heel for a while. And that sounds like one of those places, you know, if, if you can just look ahead and say, well, yeah, that's really birdie right there. I better get the dog in so he doesn't, oh, never mind, too, too late. <laughs> Do you trust the dog? Do you not trust the dog? You know. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, you know, I own German dogs. I never trust them, and they never trust me. That's uh, that's why we get along so well. Funny. Yeah. So, so Dave, because you have the the glory uh, to to lord over us all, you said you shot oh I don't know five or so quail in a row on that last trip. Oh, the dog wants to chime in too, but that's all right. Good dog, Potter. Um, so, so. Hey. So, Dave, how do you, how do you string five hits in a row together? I mean, is uh, is it foot position? Is it holding your tongue correctly, or you know, are you just uh, making burnt offerings to the to the hunting gods? <laughs> it's just basically picking out one bird and making sure you're looking at it. And in our case, and Vandy can tell you this as a fact too, you know. Basically, birds are so much slower than clay targets as a whole. So what's happened is the bird gets up, and for us, because of the way we shoot, we have to almost shoot right at them. Yeah. If you try to give yeah. them lead like we give a clay target, you shoot four feet in front of it is what I did on that uh, rooster that got up. We were just going through some thick cover uh, with basically a, a plowed field on my right or a, a wheat field, a winter grass or winter wheat, whatever you call it, and it was uh, an angle, and we would went farther in, into it, and instantly, as I'm in the thick stuff, the rooster gets up basically behind me, and I turn around, do everything I should do, oh, oh they're easy shot, boom, and shot two feet in front of it. I'm like, are you kidding me? And of course, then you kick yourself, and then you decide you're going to miss the other one because you, ran, because you missed the first one. Wow. So that does happen, and then you just bear down, okay, a whole bunch of uh, little quail get up in front of you. It doesn't do any good to try to just bang, bang, bang. So you just pick one. Okay, there it is. I'm going to make sure that I shoot it. We can find it where it's going to fall. It's not these. It's a huge blackberry patch. You got to wait till it clears out of blackberries so you can shoot it so it lands on something you can find it. So that was basically, you know, I turned down a, you know probably four or five shots before that because I thought, well, number one, if I do get it, there's no way we're going to find it in that stuff. So yeah. it's just taking your time, picking one, picking one, picking one. You know. Yeah, I do. And in fact, it's funny because uh, first off, the old timers will always tell you, you'll never miss when you when you lead too far ahead. And it's probably too on, cl true on clay targets, but but on birds, uh, uh, that's seldom a problem with me. I never get ahead of a bird. Um, <laughs> But but you bring up a really interesting point, and and you are you two are both such good shooters. You can do this. I still have trouble doing it. And I'm remembering another chucker hunt from a couple weeks ago, where all the birds and then the valley quail too, further down the slope, were all in a creek bottom, and so they'd get up out of that. And the first thing you would 
do is shoot one and it'd fall back into that willow thicket and luckily yeah. luckily i have a german dog and that's one of the things he does pretty well so we only lost one or two but but we then looked at each other and said nope let him clear all the brush get out into yes. the open sagebrush plains and then shoot which yes. yeah which I think is also a good idea anyway. I talk, you talk about it, I talk about it. Everybody who knows what they're doing says, okay, wait a moment or two. While you're waiting a moment or two, really focus on that bird. Yes. And when you do that, it's funny because I really did notice this time, like I said, I strung those few in a row that I hit. I could actually notice their little, uh, little Napoleon hats on top of their head compared to the, you know, the, the male or the female. And that was amazing. I had really never really paid that much attention before when I was shooting quail. Uh, but this time they went up, I'm like, okay, I, I don't know if it's bearing down because I was so mad at myself for missing that stupid easy rooster or <laughs> what it was. But it's like, hey, that's a little male. Boom. <laughs> hey, that's a little female. Boom. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're all good. Yeah, and for those who don't know, you can shoot both. You know, it's unlike uh, yeah, pheasants, but but you you know, it's funny because everybody talks about wow, oh, uh, shoot, you know, look at the beak, look at the eye, look at the ring on a ring neck. Never thought about looking at the top knot. Yes, yes, and that was really the first time I ever. I'll, I'll be honest, I've shot a lot of them, and I never really. It's like, oh, there's a the little guy, boom, you shoot it, and then it's like, oh, it's a little rooster or it's a little hen or whatever it is. Yeah. But to actually see it, I mean, I mean, my eyes aren't that good. So when people talk about a clay target, going, oh, you got to see the edges. My eyes have never been that good to see the edge of those targets. Vandy's might be, but I'm not. Well, I wanted to ask about that, Vandy, because you were um, you were pretty adamant about certain things when we took our lesson over there. Um, do you really try to get people to look at the leading edge of a clay target? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing distinguishing there, you know, though it's, it's not like there's a beak or an eye. It's just an edge. No, but even with my students who are um, hunting students, I tell them to turn that clay target into a bird, you know, they're out, you know, hunting pigeons. Pigeons are all over the place. Quail are all over the place. You got to watch what they're doing with their wings. If they're dipping one of those wings, look to that edge because that's the direction they're going. <laughs> well, good point. Real good point. Uh, you know, and if only we could devise a, a a clay target that had a beak on it. Yeah. <laughs> you invent it. We'll help put it in play. Okay. So, so the thing that's been plaguing me the last two or three weeks has been uh, covey rises and i I think davy were kind of alluding to all of that there but vandy um it went when four eight 112 birds gets up in front of you how do you discipline yourself to look for one bird do you look for one on the left or the right or the top or the bottom or how do you how do you help us do that better well um i haven't had that problem but just a couple of times um mm-hmm. of course we've we've hunted down in south america and and you do have that issue when you're hunting dove down there um there's just you know hundreds of them in the air at the same time um and over at a friend of ours place over in harper oregon um he's got just birds by the gazoos over there um and we had quail flush up like that just you know yeah. hundreds of them um but when it comes to clay target shooting you do from um, time to time have a target setter that will set targets so that they fly very close together or yeah. they cross. 
Um, I don't know what she means. <laughs> they're in the air, same time, of course. Yeah, that, so, yeah. Speaking of which, yeah, it it, it is a self discipline because you have to lock onto one of them. If you allow yourself to see them both, then you're not locked onto either one. Yeah, and it will usually discombobulate you, and you'll either miss them both or you'll drop at least one of them. Um, so it's just focus. You know, it's it's like anything else you do in life when when you're driving your car. Are you looking at everything or are you watching the road primarily? If you're watching the road primarily, that's your focus. Yeah. Everything so, else is in your peripheral. Well, so so do we let's you know, let's take uh clay targets to begin with. Um we have a a true pair. So both both targets are flying right to left. One is in front of the other, or one is below the other, or whatever. Is there a right one to choose, a correct one to choose? Um, well, well, we, what I tell a student when I'm working with a student is pick the one that takes your focus first. Yeah. And that's the one that's going to be the easiest one for you to um, absolutely nail and then move to the next one once you've broken the first. Um, same thing with birds. Um, I had a pair of quail flush up when I was down at Quail Point hunting on their preserve one time, and 28 gauge, by the way. Hey. And rules. <laughs> and um, I took my shot and nailed the one bird. And just by chance, my shot pattern was wide enough that I nailed both birds with one shot. <laughs> That's when you turn around and look at everybody else and just smirk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just, you know, gave a nice big aha. See? <laughs> I love it. Well, it's fascinating. Um, the, the one that that you focus on first, instinctively focus on first is the one we should shoot at then. Yes, that's gonna be your best philosophy to follow um, because that is the one that has your attention, so stay with it. Yeah, because- I have a question for you, Scott. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I have a question for you, Scott. Yeah. When you work with your dogs, what do you teach them the blind retrieve right away when they're young and starting to work or i mean i have people that come in to me this is my opinion and this is a dog thing and i don't mean to jump away from what we were talking about but i have a small brain and i have to answer it now (laughs) i'll forget about it um what i've always done is taught my dogs to hunt you know hunt dead right away at an early age but yet i get people coming in oh that's a very advanced thing i don't teach that till later i'm like you know 99 percent of the time the bird goes up the uh, covey as you're talking about the one you shoot is not the one the dog is watching the dog is watching the one go to the right you shoot the one to the left it's dead and he's going hey uh i'm over here and you're like the one's dead is over here yeah so what do you do what do you do well if if it's truly just a blind retrieve not a not a mark you know um and I'm no expert at this. I, I learn the hard way so everybody else doesn't have to, and I'm glad to confess that. Uh, but, you know, with our with German, with, with versatile dogs, we teach a, a, a variety of uh, searches, if you will, dead bird searches in the water and out of the water. And so first off, you got to trust the dog's nose. Second off, you got to give them a general direction. And then cross your fingers. And, and it's just like finding a live bird. Uh, if you can basically send your dog in the general direction and uh, what you think is downwind of that dead bird, give him a command that says search for it, uh, not follow this line slavishly like some of the retriever and, you know, uh, hunt tests and field trial guys. 
Uh, but go in this general direction and search. Use your nose. You're the professional sniffer. That's kind of how I do it. And and you make a good point, Dave. And, and, and it is because they may be looking at the wrong bird on a covey flush. And uh, so they do need a little bit of help, but it, it, you know, it's a discipline thing too. You don't want them just running off in the direction of the bird you missed. When, right. Or the one you didn't shoot at because yeah, you shot one on the left yeah, and they're yeah. looking at one on the right. Yeah. So you got to, you know, you got to keep them in and, and, you know, ideally that's one of the reasons we like a dog that's steady to wing shot and fall. Uh, but even then you can always call them back if they chased after that dog, that other bird, call them back get him set up in the right general direction, make sure they understand the command. So these are all obedience things at that point. Make right. sure Okay, so the command is go out and start searching. Use your nose in that general area. And it's a process, but that's, that's kind of how we do it. In fact, we had to do that the uh, day before yesterday. That's, that's kind of how I do it. Yeah. And I... Andy's the same way, you know, when she shits and hits the bird, she has a little powder come over. It's like, okay, the one you were tracing is not the one that I shot. So you need to come over here and find the one that I shot. Yeah. And, and so, so what you got to do, and I had a great conversation with a chucker hunting guide, uh, last podcast. In fact, um, you gotta, you gotta help your dog control his impulses. So his, his original impulse is to go in the direction of the bird he was watching so you got to rein that back in and have... you got that bandy <laughs> yeah, i got that dave <laughs> okay easier said than done of course <laughs> yes okay hey you okay i didn't mean to, to go off no, on a rabbit hole you say it that's there, that's what we're all in fact I have a friend who just started a radio show called Rabbit Hole, and that's one of the reasons. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you take a, um, a moment to collect your thoughts, uh, and we'll talk again. Uh, this is the Upland Nation podcast. That's Dave Fiedler and Vandy Fiedler with MidValleyClays.com. Great shooting facility, incredible instruction, and a hell of a pro shop too we'll be back with them in just a moment we also have more shooting instruction and hunting stories and our handlet segment coming up after that is about the right proportion of praise and correction with a fun little exercise we'll be doing so hang on for that after this word from sageandbreaker.com gun care and gun cleaning products gun storage you know, those incredible shotgun cases, all those kind of things available at sageandbreaker.com. Get on the mailing list and you will have advance notice of any sales or any um, upcoming new products, including that range bag that's coming down the pipeline any day now. So stand by for that and uh, go visit sageandbreaker.com. And with that, we're talking shooting instruction, hunting, and uh, cocker spaniels and pointers with Dave and Vandy Fiedler. Welcome back to the podcast, you two. Thank you. Nice to be back. You know, we could talk hunting all day, and I I love it. Uh, But, but, you know, the first time I took a lesson with uh, uh, an instructor I think we've talked about before up there in Squim, Washington... uh, he made me fill out a little form and asked why why you want to be a better shooter. And I said, 
because I don't want the dog to be mad at me anymore on a hunting trip. <laughs> and, and it's absolutely true. You know, the, the, the shooting instruction makes you a better hunter, if for no other reason than that. So when, when a hunter shows up at Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, um, how are you going to start helping them become a better hunter? And Vandy, I know that's kind of your area of expertise. So why don't you kick it off? Um, well, and with any student that I'm working with, I always have them take a number of shots so that I can evaluate what type of shooter they are. How do they perceive that target? How do they react to that? Um, but more than anything, the, probably the one faux pas that I see from so many hunters that do have some experience already is that they have the move backwards. (laughs) (laughs) I am taking that personally, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it it is, it is, um, uh, um, an easy trap to fall into because when we're out in the field hunting birds, um, when they flush, it drives our adrenaline through the roof and so we react with just a, a fast, aggressive move that really isn't in control. It doesn't do us any benefit. Um, so it, it becomes a habit, and then it becomes more challenging to have consistency on any kind of target, whether it's a bird or a clay. But um, what I mean by that is that we use the, what's called the Churchill method to address birds, whether you're hunting waterfowl or hunting up upland. It is a great move, and that move is just very simple. It's move, mount, and shoot. And so many hunters mount, move, <laughs> and shoot, <laughs> which kind of defeats the purpose. You're trying to keep that gun out of your face so you can see your target, and once the gun comes back to your face, you got it right there and take the bird down. It's so simple. Thank you. And you just summarized it, and I'm going to distill that for me, for my personal benefit next weekend, and that is your gun gets in the way of seeing the target. It does. It can, yes. And so, so, so why not keep it out of the way as long as possible? Yep. Once it comes into your vision, your eyes want to gravitate to it, mm-hmm. um, which defeats what you're trying to do. You need to keep your eye on the prize, and that bird is the prize. So, you know, make it simple. Move, mount, shoot. So, 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 and thank you. By the way, it, I, I'm, I'm absolutely positive it helped me shoot the one chucker I actually got a shot at last, uh, the day before yesterday. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was the high man <laughs> that day. Oh, fabulous. Woo-hoo. Yeah, but the other one yes. was the other student you were teaching. <laughs> and Tom says hello, by the way. Uh, oh. But anyway, um, move, mount, shoot. I, we all know what a mount, gun mount is. We all know how to make the gun go boom when we, when we, when we shoot. But the, it's the move part that we, we need to focus on a little bit. So, so I, I got a dog. He's on point. I get to walk up to that dog. Uh, talk to me about gun position at that point and then as we move. Well, if if you're working a field in an optimum situation, then your dogs are, are downwind of that bird. So if you're working with pointers, 
um, not always, but most of the time, they're going to be pointing in the direction of the scent. So you're pretty confident that the bird's in that direction and have your gun in what I call a ready position. Um, now, understand, this is this is going through the steps one at a time. Yeah. When yeah. you're in the field, you don't get the opportunity to always lay this out in an optimum situation because the bird will be pressured and it flushes or it runs. Um, but in optimum situations, you want to put yourself in a position um, that gets your gun ready, meaning you're not pointing it at the sky, you're not pointing it at the ground. And this is a, a common plight of so many hunters is they have that gun pointed at the ground somewhere near their toes. Mm -hmm, <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. But um, And then when the bird flushes, they just come up to it as they swing through their dog with their finger on their trigger. Mm. And it's, you know, common for dogs to get shot this way. But um, if you just have your gun over the horizon, barrels over the horizon in a ready position, when that bird flushes, you're in a perfect scenario to have a nice, easy, clean move that just what do you say i call it dancing with the target so your your music in motion with that bird and when you get there you pull the trigger and it folds and drops your dog retrieves it and you have a, a, a story to tell you know i've heard about those kind of scenarios yeah <laughs> lived it once or twice now uh just for my edification when when i'm when i'm referring to ready position the muzzle the, the gun butt's kind of under my armpit somewhere. Are we talking about that position? Oh, bring it out from under your armpit. Okay. It's just hindering you. Okay. But it's pointing forward. It's not at what, you know, I think we call port arms. Yes. Port okay. arms is a good description. Okay. And then we're moving. So the whole body is moving to follow the bird before the gun comes up. Yes, that's a good description. Okay. Um, you have to um, determine where that bird's going. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of birds are going to go away from us, um, kind of in a, um, a description. It's kind of like a trap shot, yeah. if you've ever yeah. shot clay. Um, but not all of them. I've seen plenty of birds that cross over, um, quarter, um, flush over your head. Mm -hmm. So it's just get your eye on that target. Let your eyes do the work your brain will absorb the information your eyes are taking in and will direct your body and hands to move that gun with that bird. It sounds so easy. Well, it should be, but it's not as easy. Like yeah. I said, when those birds flush, our adrenaline goes through the roof. We've got to control that adrenaline. If we don't, we're reacting instead of being proactive. So, and it doesn't mean reaction can't bring down a bird. It's just not as consistent. Yeah. Dave, I want to talk about doubles because every once in a while I actually get a legitimate shot at two birds at the same time. And uh, maybe, right. maybe you did too. Uh, if, you're, if, if you're standing there in front of your young pointer and she's on point and, um, and uh, two roosters get up, how are you going to choose which one to shoot first? <laughs> that's happened more than once actually yeah usually what I'll, what I'll do is you know are you going to sit back and go okay uh which are the two smartest ones or do you go as vandy said the yeah. first one that you really focus on yeah it's really what you do what vandy just said was exactly right okay okay the dog's on point i walk up 
the biggest problem I see with a lot of hunters is they want to have that gun way back down there. The the stock is almost sticking out like two feet behind them. Yeah, it's like yeah. a gun is ready. It's on the side of my bulge by my stomach, which is larger than most <clears throat> what I'd like to have. As I'm walking up, okay, the first bird, you know, as they both go up together, which is the one I see first? Yeah. You look at it, move, pull the trigger, it comes down. Now you're looking for the second one. Where your eyes go, your gun's going to follow. You pull the trigger on the nose, it comes down, and then you have to go find two dead birds. Okay, cool. So I, so, so I, I tested you. You're both consistent, so you're going to get along great. You're probably a good match. Why don't you get married? Um <laughs> But what I really want to know is, okay, you pulled the trigger, you saw that first one drop. Yeah, are you dismounting and then moving and mounting again? Yes, but yeah. not all the way down. You were yeah. doing is basically moving the gun out of your face far enough to see the second bird. Yeah. I, you know, and that really depends where, you know, uh, you know, when you say dismount, you know, you don't want to sit there with the gun to your face looking for the gun, uh, the bird with the with your barrel, not your eyes. Yeah. So where where is the best thing for you? How far do you want to come down so you can see that bird? You know, if both of them are going up, going away, I'm mean, literally straight going away. You're almost really not taking it down much. You just go bang, look at the second one. It's like trap doubles almost. But when you're, you know, the birds are going, one's going to the left, one's kind of going straight away you know you want to shoot the one if i'm shooting the one to the left then i've got to find the second one bring the gun to my face and then pull the trigger not just swing the gun around crazy with the gun in my face if that makes any sense it does and it's funny because uh you know uh the, the guy who originally taught me the churchill method finally did do the book we were supposed to collaborate on and he called it a demi dismount Right. That's a good word for it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So you are doing a bit of it so you can then move again. And that and that's that might be a really good way to think about it. Uh, that's great. And um, we work on that a lot within sporting clays actually. Yeah, we we yeah. work on that a lot. You know, that that is one of the things that we have a lot of shooters that come out and they're spectacular single bird shooters, I mean clay target. Yeah. But when you put them on a double, they're like bah and they're like just melt down. It's like, no, no, we need to really work on what where you where you where's your head going, where's your eyes going, what are you doing with the gun in between that first and the second shot? Yeah. You know, you don't want to wave it around like you're looking for it with your barrels, but you don't want to go all the way down to the bound and then try to come back up again either. So there's a fine you know, it takes practice. You know, it's like anything else. Uh, how do you get to what, what's that music thing? Carn how do you get Carnegie to Carnegie Hall? Hall? <laughs> yes, it's perfect practice. It's not a lot of practice. It's just the practice that you do, do should be perfect. Well, and you know, it's funny. I, I rail on that a lot, having been to Carnegie Hall, and uh, and 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 it, it, you know, in different worlds, perfect practice means different things. In the shooting world, Vandy, how do we? I, I I'll suggest to people don't shoot a hundred targets. Shoot twenty five good targets. But beyond that, how do you define a good target? Well, the the one mistake that so many competitive clay target shooters make, in my opinion, is that they do just go out and they shoot a course. They work on every single station, every single target, um, and they don't really master anything. Um, what Dave, um, as Dave will tell you, he's taught me everything I know, but not everything he knows. 
She took uh, my line. Can you believe that she took my line? Well, now she gets her lessons free too, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. But um, the one thing that Dave um, instilled in me and inspired me with is that you work on targets that you should be able to hit. Um, you have to be able to identify your skill set and your experience level to combine those into what you should be able to achieve. And if you're not achieving those targets every time you compete, then this is what you need to work on because that's the meat and potato of your score. Those big targets, those pro targets, those targets that um, are going to separate the top shots, but not the, you know, the, the shooters who are kind of still in the middle of the pack yet, those, those aren't going to make a difference on your score. So make sure you can hit the ones that you should be able to hit. So work on those. Get out there and break those, you know, 10, 15, 20 times in a row. Um, that will be the practice that's going to help you become a better shooter. Yeah, you know, it's funny. And nobody minds where I shoot regularly that I will skip a whole bunch of targets. You know, we'll walk a course and <laughs> it's the weirdest course. God bless them all. It's all put together by volunteers and they're great guys, by the way. Thank you, David. Um, but, but there's 75 targets on, I think on that course and, and I'll skip fully half of them because they're springing teal or bounding rabbits. And, uh, I shoot the ones that I'm going to find in the field. You okay with that as a, as a course operator? I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, you sit in one station and use up as many targets as you want. I'm okay with that. Yeah, we're still paying for them all. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll order more. Don't worry. You know, um, but check me on this. And, and, and I bring up uh, bounding rabbits uh, for a reason. Uh, we, we had it happen a couple times just Saturday. You know, you're on the top of the cliff. You're looking for a dog, and the dog's on point on the edge of the cliff. And then the birds get up, and they head immediately down. What's the best way? What a to... surprise. What a surprise to <laughs> Tucker. They fly downhill and run uphill. I've yeah. never seen that before. Yeah. And I'm, That's I'll a be, new concept. I'll be darned if I'm going to give up any altitude and get below them. So... <laughs> So, so what's a good target for that? Are those are the are the running rabbit targets a good way to practice that, or is there something better out there, or are we just doing it wrong? Well, I think there's, you know, anytime you get proficient in any target, it's always going to help you down the field. Yeah. You know, as you said, bounding rabbits. Uh, we have some stations where you're actually standing above your trap, above yeah, the target. Yeah. So those are the ones, okay, those are the ones you want to practice. Practice with a mounted gun, practice with an unmounted gun, um, you know, to practice how you would hunt. If that makes any sense. It doesn't do any good to shoot a sporting clay course with the gun in your mounted face all the time if you're practicing for hunting. If you're going to practice for hunting, practice the way you hunt, which is a lower gun. So if, when we have the ones that are, you know, off our little platforms and stuff. So if those are the ones you're going to shoot, you know, you have issues with, stay there all day until you get them right. You know, if you need to book a lesson with somebody, book a lesson to help you improve vastly faster. But, you know, it doesn't do any good, to, as you said, shoot a springing teal if you're never going to, you know, never going hunting with ducks. And I've never seen a trucker go straight up in the air unless you shot it in the head and it's got the dying, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, so what you're doing is picking out targets that you feel are going to emulate hunting. That's the smartest thing you can do. 
You know, I think a lot of us think that we're just born shooters when we really, uh-huh. well, when we really ought to think about it more like a golfer. Uh, you know, we, we got to improve on this. We got to have a little bit of focus. We got to discipline ourselves to practice that drive or that putt or whatever. But we don't look at shooting games that way very often. Do you see that in, in the people who show up there? We see that more in the husband and the wives. <laughs> Because the wives come out and they're very interested in how things work, what this does. And, you know, we tell them, you know, what kind of shells do you have? Oh, we have these. So they show up with these ounces and an eighth and they're big recalling shells. And I, I tell the wife, I said, you know, these shells that we sell, you know, they're only 1135s. They're very soft. They're low, low recoil. And you'll have fun. And the husband goes, oh, she doesn't need those. Uh, she can shoot these. Well, she comes back. And I said, here, I'm not even going to charge you for that box. Just try them. She comes back. She goes, oh, those were so nice. And the husband just got one of those. You know? I mean, Vandy's Vandy's dealt with a lot of these couple-type things. And she gets it worse because, obviously, she's female. So guys come in and go, uh, and they're trying to tell her how to shoot, and they're trying to tell her what these guns are. You know, she could shoot better with her eyes closed than what these guys do. I mean, you you don't get to be three-time All-American and not know what you're doing. So she really knows what she's doing. So she gets a little, you know, uh, toughed up with some of these guys who think they know everything. And, you know, they don't even know which way the safety works on their gun. Yeah, I'll never forget. I used to ask uh, pro fishing guides uh, on that TV show years ago, what's what's the one mistake most of us make? And to a man, it was trying to teach your spouse to fish. And is the same rule hold true in uh, shooting, Vandy? Um, yes. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> uh, we teased that when Dave was teaching me how to shoot, that he had to put an electric collar on me, and every time I do something wrong, he'd hit the button and say, "Don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it it can be very challenging because there are so many. Um, men um, that are intimidated by a better half that can do as well or better than them. One, yeah. of, one of our dear friends is um, in a relationship right now, and um, her bow doesn't shoot, but he's given it a, a hoe, but he is being held back by the fact that um, that chip on his shoulder is um, driving his emotions and doesn't like the fact that she can shoot better than he can. Oh, I bet. I bet that's just grinding on. But we, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Let's let's switch gears for a moment here um, because I just got a text about a half an hour ago. Um, somebody I know is uh, trying to improve their shooting, and one of the ways to do it is to go from a semi-automatic to an over and under. If you're a hunter, is is that the uh, is that one? Uh, is there a style of gun that's better than any other? The one that fits you. Yeah, that's that's where the buck stops. It doesn't matter beyond that. Well, of course. She's exactly right. The, the gun has to fit them, um, you know, and it depends what you're doing with that gun. Do I want to take, you know, a high-grade Craigoff or, or Browning out up into the Chucker Mountains where there's lava every place and I set it down because I have to do something and I pick it up and there's a big scratch on it? Or do I want to take a, you know, a, a 20-gauge or a 12-gauge semi-automatic that's synthetic that I can, like, fall on and not hurt? You know, um, all of those comes into play. Because when people 
people come in looking for guns from us, first thing it's like, okay, what are you going to do with it? What are your yeah. plans? Are you yeah. going to hunt? Are you going to shoot clays with it? What kind of hunting are you going to do? Are you going to sit there in a duck line? You really want an over and under if you're going to sit in a duck line. Yeah. All right, because yeah. then you got to make, you know, you got to break the gun open. You need, you have enough room to do that sitting in a duck blind. You know, there's a million questions with that. And then let's look at the way the gun fits you. You know, are you four feet tall and four feet wide? Are you six foot three and, you know, uh, you know, as skinny as a rail? All of that makes a huge difference. And then people come in with their preconditioned, okay, they put the gun, their finger in the trigger, yep. and they put it down yep. by their elbow. Oh, that doesn't fit me. You know, that has nothing to do with that. And, it, and I have never heard anybody explain to me how that would make a gun fit if if you do that and you know what i'm talking about where you put the you know they do that with their arm see and they try every, to put that see it every day in a shop or a, or a big box store that's exactly right <laughs> now most of us will never go to a place where we can have a real authentic gun fitting the way it should be done are there any simple basic premises that we as just schlubs buying a new shotgun can start with uh when we're in that shop and there's nobody else around and of course you know you can trust or not trust the guy across the counter from you you know all the guns fit when they're trying to sell you one (laughs) so so which one yeah i mean can we mount it safely and derive any fitting uh data from that or is there anything else we can do and do you want to go with this you want me to yeah you take it dave well the biggest thing is if you're bought okay you're in a shop other than here because we are experts just ask me i'll tell you yeah Um, You know, if you're in Ottumwa, Iowa, you know, listening to this broadcast, you'd want to do is find some place that's a mirror, out, you know, where it's safe, obviously, and you mount the gun up to, you pretend you're going to shoot your eye. If you're right-handed, you want to shoot your right eye, okay? <gasps> now, that, that um, um, your eye should sit on top of that rib like an egg would sit on top of there. Not off to the side, not below the receiver, not off to the left, or not incredibly high. You know, you literally, if you set an egg on top of there, that's what your eye should look like. Now, the other thing you want to look for, if uh, if you possibly can, and this is not set in stone, but when you put the gun up, can you put two fingers between your knuckle and your nose like you're ready to shoot it? Your finger's basically in the trigger, but safe, in a safe direction, all that stuff. Um, obviously, we look for safety first. Um, is there t- roughly two fingers between your knuckle and your nose? That's what we're looking for. Anything much longer than that? It's hard to mount the gun in the same spot if the stock is too long for you. Okay? Yeah. So those are some of the things that we look at. You know, the semi-automatic, most of those comes with shims, so we can adjust that a little bit. And, you know, the key is get your eyes sitting on top of there and not bringing the gun up and, and monkey it into where you need it to be. I mean, just bring it up, put it in like you're going to shoot your eye, like it's a move-mount shoot, like Vandy says. Yeah. Move-mount yeah. shoot up to your right eye is your eye sitting there. If your eye is off to the right big time or off to the left or way over the top or way underneath and you can't even see your right eye, all right, something, the gun either doesn't fit you or, there, you know, maybe with the shims you can, you know, get it where you need to be. But that's really what we look for right away. And we do have the guns with the adjustable combs to get you that way. We also have the shims that if you need to, we can adjust them for you as well. That so, is golden, that, David. Thank you so much. That is, that is, you're going to help a lot of people with just that bit of advice there. 
That's great. Well, they can even take their guns out of their gun safes as I'm looking at through yeah, mine. Yeah. Um, and check and see, uh, where's your eye really sitting there? Now, yeah. if you've been shooting that gun for 25 years and you never miss with it, you know what? You've learned how to shoot that gun. It doesn't shoot where you look. You shoot it where you, you know? Yeah. So it, we've heard lots of stories about that over the years where the guy gets a brand new gun. He can't hit anything. He looks at his old gun, finds out it shoots high into the right or high into the left, and he's just learned how to shoot it that way. Sure. Yeah, and 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 we we've read we've all read about people who own that gun. By the way, right, um, uh, Vandy. You know, we had a, I, I was fascinated when we started talking about uh, eye dominance, and uh, and you are an equal opportunity employer when it comes to that. Uh, but but the rest of it, which is uh, you probably know, how uncommon is that to have both eyes basically the same strength? You know, I don't have a number for you, um, yeah. but my understanding that is very uncommon. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 workable, but you have to learn uh, what to do with it. I've tried using occlusion foils um, since both of my eyes appear to be dominant, um, and occlusion foils can be um, extremely helpful, even for those people who are shooting cross dominant, meaning yeah. they're for example, left eye dominant, but they shoot right shoulder, cross dominant. Um, it's it's what you want to make of it. For me, back when I started shooting, there weren't a lot of options. So I simply close uh, my right eye when I shoot because the instructor that I was working with at the time um, felt that my left eye might be just a little bit stronger than my right, but mm. they were both trying to do the work because I would see two targets out there. Sure. Yeah, and and I'm just the opposite. And you use a term I I have never heard before, occlusion foil. I just put a piece of tape on my glasses. <laughs> is that what is that the fancy name for it? it? You know, like in fly fishing, you know, we call it a strike indicator. It's just a freaking bobber. <laughs> so so tape, tape works similarly. So, you know, kudos to you there, Scott, for working with that. Um, again, that's what we had years ago. So that's yeah. what we've used for so long was tape. But um, occlusion films, occlusion foils, whatever you want to call them, um, they actually are offered in different strengths. Oh, really? So you can see as best as you can without allowing that eye to be dominant so it occludes the eye just enough to where it can't do the work but but, yet you're, but you're not walking right. over a cliff absolutely we uh, don't want that uh, where do i sign up i want some of those <laughs> i'm i'll talk to you off mic about that you're listening to the upland nation podcast dave and vandy fiedler are with mid-valley clays and shooting school learn more about them at midvalleyclays.com got to start wrapping things up around here but i i, I just i'm just um obsessive enough these days about patterning guns yeah. that that uh again uh and dave you handled the last one maybe vandy it's time for you to ha can we do it ourselves and pattern our shotgun on a refrigerator box or something like that and does it do any good to for us to do that um there, there are different philosophies on that. Um, I, I lean towards the philosophy of simply learn where your gun shoots by shooting it. Um, if you want to pattern it, it can afford you the information of knowing um, how your gun shoots. But here's the key. You have to be very consistent. 
about how you pattern your gun. Um, if you're doing it freestyle, you may not get the best results. Uh, meaning that if you're just if you're a hunter, then you're going to do a move, mount, shoot to the um, to the patterning board. Mm-hmm. Um, but you probably would be um, it would behoove you to go ahead and just pre-shoulder the gun. Yeah, and take your shot and make sure that you shoulder it the same way every time. That's not as easily done as it is said. Um, so using some kind of a bench mm-hmm. so that you are sure. Um, a tripod or something like that, so that you're absolutely certain to get the gun into the shoulder and the face the same way each time. Then you'll have information that is accurate on where your gun shoots. But once you have that information, now it's in your head. Yeah, yeah. And most shooters overthink it, and it it doesn't help them. But it is information. You know, I've I've had one person who bought a gun, and the barrels weren't set right. Um, so the gun shot really low and left, really low and left, um, more so than it should have. So it was helpful for him because now he had a gun that he sent back to the manufacturer to have it fixed. But otherwise, I'm not a huge proponent for patterning a gun, but to each their own. I'll yeah. throw my two cents in there if you don't mind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Vandy's 100% right there. The thing that if you're very particular people, and some people, as Vandy said, a lot of shooters think more than they should. I would say it's more about patterning your choke and patterning the shells you're using. If that makes sense? Because there are shells, if you say this 15,000, you're going to shoot that, and that's your fallback that you're going to hunt with. Okay, but what kind of shell are you going to shoot with that? Is it going to be in sporting clays? It's going to be, okay, I'm going to shoot my light modify, I'm going to shoot seven and a half out of that. Well, is it seven and a half ounce and an eighth? Is it seven and a half, seven, you know, seven eighths ounce? You know, you have like eight different choices that you can put through that choke. You do that and figure out which one is going to pattern best out of your choke. That way, it's kind of like making a recipe. You know, they have a recipe when they reload. Well, they should also have the next step is having a recipe and what they have confidence in what their their choke does the best for them. I mean, I've always had it in my head where I like seven and a half more than eights. But I had a gun a few years ago that, I mean, I knew without a doubt it shot pattern better with eights, but I couldn't get it through my thick head that that's what I should use. So it depends how much you want to get into that, you know. Um, in hunting, I would say, you know, chest out the chokes you're using and check out the, the um, you know, the shells you're using. You might find out that your X amount light modified choke with seven and a halves, or I mean, uh, sixes or fives work better than fours, or the fives work better than the sixes, and you have a better pattern that way. That would be very useful to me, because that way I know when I'm putting that shell in, it's going to pattern exactly what I want. It's not going to be throwing a lot high into the left. It's going to be a full circle, and everything's going to be covered as even as it can be. Does that make sense? It does, and, and just for the record, so a good pattern is a pattern that has no bird-sized holes between the pellets. Am I? Is that a simplification? But it, to me, that's what I need. Yes, that's an easy way to put it because if you do, you know, when you say bird-sized hole, unfortunately your shot is moving, you know, very fast. Sure. So it, it's not a stationary, you know, it's not just a flat thing coming at you. So even though there's a hole there, there's chances are the rest of the target is the rest of the bird is going to get hit with the rest of the shot. But you don't want it all bunching up on the hop on the left or all bunching up down on the right. You want to have that spread around as nice as you can. Yeah. And you'll learn that by trying, you 
you know, it might be a federal six or it might be a Kent five or it might be, you know, that that's what I would tell you to do is try a lot of those out of the chokes you use and find out which one uh, really patterns best for you. And I think you're going to find down the road when you hunt, your kills are going to go up or your wounded birds are going to go down because you are, have a better pattern. Does that make sense? It makes all the sense in the world and a great way to close this out. At least this segment, I'll be back in a few moments with that handle it dog training segment on praise and correction that was dave fiedler alongside vandy fiedler midvalleyclays.com is where you learn all about their shooting school pro shop and their incredible assortment of clay target games to play if you're ever in western oregon make sure you stop by but in the meanwhile Check them out at where am I? Midvalleyclays.com. Dave, Vandy, great to talk with you again. Glad we could uh, learn a little bit more in many areas. So thanks again for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you, Scott. Scott. Bye bye. Yeah, like I said, we still got more to talk about, whether it's uh, how much praise versus how much correction and a little bit more. So stick around right here at the Upland Nation podcast. Right after this word from MidwayUSA.com. You know, they carry just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. And uh, they're growing their selection of products for you and me from dog care and dog training to shooting, of course, even bird launchers and uh, boots. So take a look at MidwayUSA.com. If they don't have it, no one else will. They got 20,000 products ready to ship free. Don't order all of them because then Larry Potterfield, the founder, will No, Anyway, good job, Larry. Thank you for supporting the Second Amendment and our shooting sports. If you want to learn more about their competitive pricing and the vast assortment of gear that they have for you and me and everybody else in our world, go to MidwayUSA.com. Handle it. Yes, you do attract more flies with honey than with vinegar, and the same holds true for training your dog. Uh, we've already talked about uh, more praise than corrections as a way to get your dog motivated and enjoying himself while he's performing for you. But I want to thank George Quinlan, a wolf behaviorist I used to work with a little bit, uh, for putting me onto this very graphic demonstration that works extremely well. Takes two people, but it's fun to do. You got a kid or spouse who's willing to go along with it for a few minutes. Here's the way to do it. They're the dog. Now imagine, but don't tell them you've hidden their favorite treat somewhere in the room and they need to find it. You can only do two things. You can tell them no when they're going the wrong way and good boy when they're going the right way. All right. The first time around, that's all you can say is no. So you've got to correct them every time they're going the wrong way. All right. See how long that takes to find the treat. Then do the opposite. Only say good boy when, it's, when they're headed in the right direction. See how long that takes. Now in the third, use both. No. And good boy. Which worked best? 
And how many times did you say, good boy, versus no, in that last scenario? Got lots more like that from folks who know a lot more about dog training than me at findbirdhuntingspots.com. And we are sponsored in part by Pointer Shotguns. Whether you want to start a new hunter or you're upgrading, and I just heard about somebody doing that today, take a look at pointershotguns.com. They've got a wide assortment of entry level and everything in between, including some very deluxe target guns there. So remember, they're a work of art at a price that's a thing of beauty. Pointershotguns.com is the new website. Find a nearby retailer. Take a look at all their models. uh, Get ready for the new side-by-side. And um, take a look at some of the videos and articles there as well. Pointershotguns.com. And thank you, Dave Vandy Fiedler, for your insights into shooting and some great hunting stories. We could talk all day. Maybe we will again real soon. Thanks to all of you who comment at our social platforms. Sure enjoy uh, all of those. All you guys who are funnier than me, keep up the good work. Gals too, by the way. If you left a rating or a review, appreciate that very much. That's how we grow. That's how people pick podcasts. And I want to thank all of our sponsors, Sage and Breaker, Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays, True Lock Jokes, MidwayUSA.com, and FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. And particularly, I want to thank you for your listening, for your attention, for your feedback. Please tell a friend. And until we meet again here at the podcast, I'm Scott Linden thanking you and see you down the road.